Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. Today I'm joined by Michael Connor from Sports Talk 790s, the co-host of the Sean Salisbury Show. He also does the Astros and Rockets pre and post game uh, shows. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Always uh, excited to talk some Astros baseball, even if they stink at the moment, because unfortunately they do stink at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so is there anything else you're a part of or involved in that I didn't list? Uh, no, that's that's really about it. I'm basically, you know, living here at the station if I'm not at home. So that's my life. Sports. It just never stops. So how long have you been doing uh, radio and how'd you end up there at 790? I have been here now. I was just looking at this. It's funny that you asked. I looked at it yesterday on my thing. It's creeping in on 10 years, which is crazy to believe because um, I turned 30 next week. Um, I've been here, uh, thanks to an internship. Uh, this is the station I listened to as a kid. It's, I pinch myself every single day because I always, you know, would rush home from school and say, I want to go, you know, listen to the, to the, to what they're talking about with the Astros or whatever. And I would do that. And I bugged Matt Thomas when I started out at Texas tech about getting an internship for basically a year. And he helped me get here with that. And then they convinced me to go ahead and uh, transfer out of Texas Tech and come back here and go to school and do this at the same time. So, you know, it was uh, a big decision in my life at the age of, you know, nineteen twenty when I made it. But I wouldn't change it for the world because I get to do exactly what I've always wanted to do because I realized one day that, hey, I'm not good enough to play baseball. I was too fat and too flat footed and slow to, uh, you know, do anything with it. I could hit the ball far, but I just didn't have it. So radio became the thing. So you do the Sean Salisbury show from uh, on Monday through Friday from 6 to 10. Uh, so what goes on behind the scenes to keep a four-hour radio show going? And uh, how much time is actually involved, you know, before and after the show? You know, it's it varies, you know, for me during the baseball season because, you know, I'm up late with Astros games typically, especially this season since they're playing all these stupid 8-10 first pitches. Um, I'll get here a little bit later. The mornings, you know, after I've done a game the night before when I've gotten off at midnight. But, you know, typically we don't do a ton of talking about what we're going to talk about per se. Like, I think it's the beauty of it. Like, we just want it to be a conversation for the most part. Like, we have outlines of stuff and you know, I'm a big, I'm not a big, uh, you know, like put down everything. Like you have to follow this, this, this thing. And so as Sean, we just kind of let it flow as it goes. I do, you know, typically stay after the show's in till about noon most days. And if I don't have Astros the night before, I'm usually in by like three thirty, four in the morning just to get myself. I like to have everything in front of me in one place with numbers and everything. Cause I'm big on 
you know, knowing the numbers. Um, so it, it just varies right now. It's probably a little bit less work than normal in terms of like pre-show stuff, just because I have to stay up so stinking late with these games and then you know, get four hours of sleep. Yeah. I think the other day when I was talking to you, you said, uh, that you're waiting to do the post game for the Astros. And it was one of those, it was either one of those eight ten starts or it was one of those, uh, double headers. Oh yeah. I mean the, um, Yes, yeah, so I was doing. I did a doubleheader this week. I just did the between the games. Uh, we didn't do a post game after it. Those have kind of been a beautiful thing. These seven inning uh, doubleheader games. I don't mind that at all because it obviously makes the game go way faster, get off the air earlier. But um, early in the season, like I've had the two games in Anaheim this year that were Friday night games, and the first one was like the longest game ever in Angel Stadium for a nine inning ball game it was like four and a half hours. And I didn't get on the air that night till almost 1am. And even though it was Friday, it's like, good God, I've been up I, that day. I'd been up since like 4am. So I was creeping up on 24 hours straight without sleep. Cause I'm not a napper during the day. I just can't do it. So these things can, uh, they'll wear me out. Usually by the weekend, I will have a day. Now this weekend I didn't because I didn't work last night, but uh, I'll have a day like on the weekend where I'll sleep for like 12 hours just because I don't get some, which I wouldn't trade at all. What are you doing uh, while the is the game going on? You're just watching the game, waiting for it to end so you can talk about it? Yeah, I mean, I just, like everybody else, I'm sitting there uh, watching it, taking it in, trying to, you know, catch any details that I feel that I need to talk about. I'm not big on taking, like, notes of, hey, I have to talk about this, I have to talk about that. I'm pretty basic because I feel that, for me, if, like, I'm sitting here, you know, writing stuff, I, I just, I'm not a big script person on anything so if i'm talking about it it's just what's off the top of my head most of the time some people would say you're not supposed to do that for radio but um i feel like i'm my best when i'm just talking i've had a guest on one time and i had three bullet points it's just three i think it was three questions like i I had some people write in some questions and we we answered it took us an hour to talk, answer those three questions. So I know exactly what you're talking about. You really don't have to make a ton of notes, you know, to keep stuff going. Uh, so I was going to ask you if you're an Astro fan and if, where did you grow up? But I think you already touched on that. Uh, where did you grow up in Houston? Yeah, in Houston, uh, born and raised, grew up out in Jersey village, uh, went to Jersey village high school. So my entire life was out there. I've been an Astros fan really since I can breathe like my first you know, real, the real, the first real season that I can remember watching, you know, all the way through was 99. I can remember going to some games in the dome in 97 and 98. I had a, a really close friend as a, as a kid whose family had second row behind the Astros dugout tickets, uh, season tickets. So uh, I would go to a ton of games with him. And unfortunately he passed away when I was a child. His name is Jerry Wallace. And he's a huge reason why I love Astros baseball the way that I do outside of me playing it and everything um, because his kids didn't love Astros base or just didn't love sports in general. Like they didn't hate it, but when they went to the game, they were typical kids where they would just, you know, mess around and not be paying attention all the time. And I was the kid, the weirdo kid that would just sit there and, you know, watch every little detail. And every single morning when I wake up, I'd read the, the Chronicle sports page front to back, no matter what day it was and whatever the topic was. Uh, collected baseball cards. I've gotten more baseball cards than I can even imagine. I would sit there and study those. Like I was just the odd kid that didn't do all the normal things that a kid does. I just loved numbers and stats, er everything from sports in general, but I would just sit back and my knowledge was on that instead of typical kid stuff. So that's where it started. And it's just obviously grown uh, from then. 
when I was a kid, I used to get the, uh, I guess I would just do it on the weekends, maybe the Sunday paper. And I get the uh, the MLB section where it'd show the box scores and all that. And, and I would, not that I ever pursued my dream, but I, uh, I would pretend like I was a sportscaster, you know, talking about the games and going over the standings and all that. So I guess I was weird too, but I, for some reason I just didn't chase my dreams. Uh, but I'm glad you did. That's pretty. It's a pretty awesome story you have there. Uh, so, what's, I, just, I just pinch myself every day. It, it really is awesome. I can't cannot complain at all. It's not a real job. Yeah, I, I would tell my kids growing up, they're already. Uh, I guess they're getting closer to 30 than they are 20. But uh, I, I told them it's real hard to be able to find a job that you love. Uh, most people just have jobs that they need. You know, they, they got to do what they have to do to to uh, take care of their family and things. So if you're, if you're someone that has a job that you actually love doing, you know, you're you're really lucky. No, I'm at, excuse me. I'm absolutely with you. I mean, it's one of these days I'll I'll have a family um, and I will obviously do this, do the same thing and telling them that because. I've been lucky to chase it and get to it, and it takes a lot of work, and there was a lot of times where I've doubted a lot of things. I still have a lot of places that I want to go with it and, you know, go further and have more responsibility and obviously, you know, set myself up to make even more money because who doesn't want to make more money and set themselves up to be, you know, comfortable in life? Right. That, that's where I'm at. I have a job that I'm comfortable. You know, I don't really love what I do, but it provides me – the means to do whatever I want outside of work. I just got to put up with working to be able to enjoy life. Uh, so anyway, let's dive into this season. The The first thing that stands out to me is this season for Major League Baseball, uh, for most teams, it's an injury-riddled season. For the Astros, we lost JV early. We lost Osuna. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr. just recently had uh, neck issues, Bregman, Altuve, Springer, they've all spent time. I could be missing someone. I don't know if you count Alvarez because it doesn't really seem like his knees had anything to do with the short season. Uh, but do, do you think it was a mistake to play this season, given that they didn't have enough time to prepare? Yeah, I'm, I was of, of the belief, and I tried to convince myself of it the entire time they were talking about you know, how they were going to go about this season, that it would not be a gimmick. It was something that we debated a lot on the shows leading up to this. And I was like, you know, once the games get here, it'll look like baseball, it'll feel like baseball, and it'll be you know, just a, a season where we say, hey, it was just 60 games. It was different, but it was still baseball. But as this season has gone along, uh, you're right, it's it's become completely odd, and it has, for me, become a gimmick type of season. And I think it's a real shame on Major League Baseball and the way that they handled the negotiations with the players. And really, they just they dragged it out. I know that there were a lot of teams, or at least I think it was, what, eight teams that really did not want to play this season. It was going to be easier for them to not play a season uh, and then have the ability to possibly sell their teams off after this to where they didn't have a bunch of losses on the books because they could kind of write stuff off for insurance or whatever. Um, I think it was just a real shame on baseball with the way it was all handled and then they did everything last second. And then, like you mentioned, they really tried to ramp things up in a three, four week window. And so many teams could not consistently get out there and ramp themselves back up. 
and it really has affected pitching, obviously, with guys falling down left and right. And obviously it's happened for hitters as well. I think that, you know, we when we're in the middle of spring training, typically early in the year, we're like, this is so long and it's such a drag. Why does it need to be this long? But I think we're seeing or getting a real reminder as to why spring training is so important and why it is so lengthy, because they need this kind of buildup for this type of grind. They had to just put everything into a, sh- a short period of window. And then you had stoppages left and right. Like the Astros had what a couple of stoppages of their uh, summer camp. How much of an effect has that had on guys? Um, you know, from the mental standpoint, did it, does it make guys tentative with how they went about getting ready and then how they're playing. And when you're playing with something else on your mind, like that, I think leads to injuries. It's just, it has unfortunately become to me a complete gimmick. And it is something that when we look back on this season, I think the champion will always be the champion and we will recognize that, but it's not a season that to me feels real at this point. While I'm watching the Astro games, um, I do get upset when they lose. I I get upset more when they blow games they should have won. I mean, if they get blown out, I can accept those quite easily. You're talking about blowing games they should win. I think they've had a lead in like 28 games this season, which is or 28 or close to 30, and they've blown. Think of how many they've blown. It's just nuts. Well, during the offseason, I mean, on my show, I talked about how the Astros, because they lost Will Harris. Yep. And I mean they, they kept Joe Smith, but he didn't he didn't play this season. And I you know, that's that's what I kept saying. They need to go get you know, they lost what? Colin McHugh. Yep. I mean, the bullpen is so different than it was last year and it's always it's been our strength of the last few seasons. But they didn't go out and get anybody. They I mean, anybody they picked up was some, you know, some players nobody wanted or, you know, like you know, they're just scrambling to get players now. Not not that these guys, you know, that they're using from a ball aren't doing well, but it, it's their weakness and they didn't make any moves in the offseason. Yeah. And I think that looking back on it, the you know, obviously everything got thrown up in the air and crazy, obviously, with what happened in the fallout from Luno and everything like I think the plan was and they had a lot of faith in some of the younger guys and one of the guys specifically as to why they let. Uh, Will Harris go was Brian Abreu and he came to spring training and looked fantastic uh, after, you know, flashing pretty well last season. And they really expected him to have a big year. And I know that they were very disappointed with the uh, conditioning that he came back with once they got summer camp going. And it really just completely has affected his ability to pitch. And now he's obviously not part of it. You know, I think the plan was to go in with the guys that you have and have some of the, you know, you had Davinsky back and you were just kind of going to kind of go through the early portion of the season uh, with a bullpen that maybe isn't as great as it has been. And then they would make additions to it. But you mentioned you, you didn't even get Joe Smith this year, which obviously is something that has hurt this club. I have no issue with him making that decision. Obviously thoughts still with him after his mother passed away. Um, it, it just, everything has gone wrong. And then, you know, they could have gone out and done something obviously at the, at the deadline, and I thought that they they very well could add an arm. They've added a couple of you know smaller guys before that. I was a little bit surprised that they didn't, but given the way that the season is going and just the honest outlook for it, that they aren't a true World Series contender this year, I have no issue with them just go ahead and rolling with it. And you know what? You get some of these guys some run, and you see you know who has something and who who doesn't. I think that they've got some pieces now in that bullpen that looking to next season. You know, with more maturing, kind of like we've seen with Framber Valdez this year in the rotation, like 
These guys get older. They start to learn to pitch. They take to the coaching and everything. They have some very intriguing arms that are going to be part of this bullpen next season, and I expect there to be additions to it as well in free agency. That's a good way to look at this season as an Astros fan is that we probably don't. I mean, I, I thought we could compete for a World Series, but it's it kind of it's pretty they, obvious they, that they, we no. can't now. But you, but I, I'm okay with looking at the season as, look, we got a lot of young guys that are getting a lot of experience. You know, we're losing Verlander and Greenkey probably later, you know, next after next season. But we're going to have a lot of guys with a lot of experience. So we can look at this in a good way, even though, you know, we're probably not going to make it to the World Series this year. Yeah, I mean, you think about just the rotation alone. I mean, Fromber, this was kind of his last chance, obviously, and he's really uh, completely changed my mind on him going forward. Like, you're viewing him now as a key part of your rotation moving forward. You know, in a perfect scenario for this season, in all likelihood, uh, Christian Javier was going to have a tough time even getting a shot to be a starter for this team. But now, you know, there's been some up and downs as a rookie, and you see the workload, I think, uh, you know, getting to him at times. But you're looking at why he was the minor league pitcher of the year last year for the for the franchise, and you're saying that's a piece of my rotation moving forward. You have Jose Urquidy there uh, that you had big big expectations for, obviously, and he's come back and uh, looked good in his second start. Like that's a key piece moving forward. You will still have Grinky next season. You know, with McCullers, I think there's still a lot of question marks. So, you know, getting some of the answers now for what they're going to have in terms of the rotation next year, I think, is big. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the future is for Verlander. I'm not sure if, how real this injury is or, the, or if there's going to be surgery involved like we, I think, have been led to believe overall could be in play. I don't think his last pitch in Houston has been thrown. I really do think that he and Jim Crane, because they are close, uh, if he comes back, let's just play the worst-case scenario, you know, he misses all of next season. I would be surprised if the following year, coming off of whatever it is, He's still not pitching for Houston just because of the relationship he does have with Jim Crane. Uh, Grinky, who knows? And like I said, McCullers, that again, yeah, that's the that's the thing that, you know, they have money coming off the books and they are going to have to spend on a few guys here in the very near future. But they're getting some answers and I feel more comfortable about the future of the rotation specifically uh, after getting some of these guys from run this season. Yeah, as a fan, I'm I'm more comfortable with Framber Valdez and Christian Javier, this may be a bad take, uh, than I am with Lance McCullers Jr. He, he's, he seems to get injured a lot, and he's, I mean, sometimes he looks like a Cy Young pitcher, and sometimes he looks like he shouldn't even be on the team. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think they'll re-sign him. I have no idea, but, I mean, if I had to, if I was a betting man, I would bet that, the, that he probably won't be an Astro after his contract runs out. I could be wrong. Uh, but let me ask you this. You t- you, you brought up uh, Luno or Lunau. I don't even know how to say the guy's name. I always it's, say it wrong. It was, it was Luno. Everybody always loved to get that right. It was Luno. Okay. I, I think people correct me when I say it like that. Really? But it, Yeah. But anyway, the uh, what was the tone? This is kind of having to go back to the offseason. But what was the tone there on the show when they let these guys go? I mean, for me, it was complete shock. I really thought that they would uh, take the penalties and have these guys sit out and deal with it and have them come back after next season. But I get it from Jim Crane's standpoint. You know, there's a lot of pressure on him publicly. Um, and, and the penalties overall for the 
what was the fallout, I think, were overall light just based on what the CBA allowed Major League Baseball to do. So I had no issue with Jim Crane, you know, from a PR standpoint and calming the noise, going ahead and getting rid of both. I, if I was in charge, I would have not, I would not have made that decision. I would have actually just wrote it out and dealt with what is to come because it is what it is. It, it sucked, you know, being a little bit closer to baseball uh, over the last couple of years and being around them, the Astros, and I've been in some ballparks where I, I'm not going to lie, I've heard things. This was a league-wide issue. The Astros were not, as we do know, they're not the only team that has utilized technology to get ahead and to, and to you know, decipher signs and to relay signs to other people. The Astros just got caught red-handed because they had a guy that was on that team that decided to to talk about it and be the whistleblower. And baseball, you know, not wanting another steroid type of scandal, I think absolutely said, we have our poster child. We're going to make them look awful. We're going to absolutely just make this appear to be about them. And I think it's a real shame on Rob Manford and the way that it was handled because it was a very big issue across the sport. And I still have questions as to, you know, how prevalent it is because I don't think it just, um, you know, immediately went away. There's probably still stuff going on that we, that we never know, never know now or never will know about in the past. Um, it just sucks. Everything about it sucked. I hated it. It does nothing to change my thoughts on the winning of the World Series because, again, I've I've been in some ballparks where I've heard from some people about certain things that go on, and I that's what I just keep getting back to. There are there was a big issue across the entire league. They were not the only team doing that type of thing. So one issue I have is was is people. They always uh, take up for Altuve because he didn't really utilize it. And, uh, you know, they're trying to say, well, he didn't cheat. He's, he didn't do it. And I always say, well, he knew it was going on. So he's just as guilty as the rest of them. But I listened to a podcast with uh, they had Evan Gaddis on. And his explanation was, we're just trying to keep up with everybody. Yeah. You know, we, we felt like everybody else was doing it. So we felt like we had to do it. And he said, once you got doing it, like even if you didn't want to do it, it was too hard to stop. No, absolutely. I mean, the pressure from it was very real. And, you know, it's not to make an excuse for doing it. It's it. And that's the that's the weird part about this is because the language of the rules against it weren't very real. Like to me, penalizing the way that they did to the Astros compared to the Red Sox and the Yankees is silly. Because baseball didn't do anything to police it. Baseball allowed this to go on like they did steroids back in the day because look what was happening. The game over the last few years started to get really good again. And guys are mashing the baseball all over the place. And youth is becoming a thing once again. Like They're setting themselves up to try to get back into the mainstream where they've lost some fans over the years. And it was part of the benefit for baseball getting better was not policing this. And... It, again, it doesn't make it right for what they did. And yeah, I think that we all, and AJ Hinch is, you know, obviously number one in that. I mean, the manager's sitting 10 feet away from where they're banging on a trash can uh, and he knew it was going on and, and, you know, didn't want it. Like, I think a lot of guys overall probably did not want that going on, but think about, you know, in your life when something good is going on, it might not be exactly perfect. Like how difficult it is to stop doing that. Like we have to remember that these are human beings that are playing for you know, not only wins, but money in the future. Like 
if it's working and you're not getting caught at the moment, unfortunately in sports, this is what happens. That's the history of baseball. It's getting an edge on your opponent in any sort of way that it can be, whether it's sign stealing, which has been going on electronically basically since the eighties, you know, we had the amphetamine period and I mentioned steroids. Like I think that when we peel the curtain back, you get the high and, you know, the high and mighty, they're throwing all the stones in the glass house. Like this is terrible. This is the worst thing ever. Like, I'm telling you, the public doesn't want to know what goes on. The public has no, really doesn't need to know all the things that actually happen that teams do to get edges because it's not a clean game per se uh, on, on exactly those type of scenarios. I, I, sorry. I always bring up the, uh, the, 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 when they interview like veterans, I I just go back to the uh, Will Clark interview when they asked him about it. I mean, he just laughed. Of course, everybody does it, you know. But when you talk to the newer guys, the guys that are in the game now, like Clevenger and Bauer, uh, they they act like no one in the world does it but the Astros. And going back to what you were saying about getting the edge, you know, knowing that it's wrong, but it's working. I just had the image of someone that could be you know, an upstanding citizen, a hardworking person that doesn't do anything wrong. But somehow, you know, someone hooked them up with some free cable. And, you know, they know it's wrong, but they've been getting free cable for a couple of years, so they don't go fix it. So, you know, that's kind of my analogy that came to me when you were saying it. Yeah, and that's a, I think that's a great example. That's crazy that you bring up a cable analogy. When I was a kid, we had the exact thing, like our cable, like, I think we, my, my mom missed the payment on it once and they were supposed to, like, I think they said they cut it off and they never cut it off and they stopped sending us a bill. And I think we had free cable for like a year. She didn't say anything. I mean, it's just, it's what happens in life, unfortunately, where yeah, you get caught up in those moments and it's hard to stop uh, what you're doing when it's working. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it stinks that it happened and they got caught as the poster child of it. Um, but there's, you know, they didn't just win because of that. And there's a lot of times where I think, you know, we got this big view of it that, oh my God, this made them that great. Like people went back and looked at numbers and looked at, you know, scenarios and everything. And it didn't always help. They weren't always getting it 100% right. And yeah, those guys, I've loved the guys that have thrown stuff around and said stuff because, you know, acting like your teams didn't do anything when the day comes that more comes out on these other teams, you know, in the future, I think, because things over the years probably will leak out. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, all that, how those guys take it as, oh, you were caught too. What do you know? And I think we had free cable for like a year. She didn't say anything. I mean, it's just, it's what happens in life, unfortunately, where yeah, you get caught up in those moments and it's hard to stop uh, what you're doing when it's working. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it stinks that it happened and they got caught as the poster child of it. Um, but there's, you know, they didn't just win because of that. And there's a lot of times where I think, you know, we got this big view of it that, oh my God, this made them that great. Like people went back and looked at numbers and looked at, you know, scenarios and everything. And it didn't always help. They weren't always getting it 100% right. And yeah, those guys, I've loved the guys that have thrown stuff around and said stuff because, you know, acting like your teams didn't do anything when the day comes that more comes out on these other teams, you know, in the future, I think, because things over the years probably will leak out. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, all that, how those guys take it as, oh, you were caught too. What do you know? Yeah, what irritates me is that, you know, we are the poster child. We're 
Every, all the fans in the world think we're the only one that uh, cheats. And some people have this wacky notion. I've seen it on Twitter. That this wacky notion that MLB is protecting the Astros. And I don't know where they get that from when you have the uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball going to court with the Yankees lawyers trying to stop that letter from getting open. I don't know how they could you know, say that the Astros are being protected. I think that's just wacky. Yeah, no, they've made the Astros the whipping boy. Um, the Yankees thing is, and that to me speaks to, you know, the throwing the stones in the glass house. Like, there's more than something there. And the Yankees have hid from it. And it tells me enough for Major League Baseball fighting it the way that they have that they know the league-wide issue that was going on. And they just don't want it to become a thing. They do not want it to be viewed as another steroid error because if all the details got out league-wide, that is how people would take it. All right, before we move on to this season, I want to get into this season a little more. Uh, you talked about your mom getting free cable. Uh, when, I, when, I, when me and my wife bought our house, we did the walkthrough, and we weren't supposed to get a garage door opener or a refrigerator, and we did the walkthrough when they were in it, and we didn't say anything. Even the lady showing this house are like, don't say anything. So, yeah. But I'm a good guy, but, I, you know, I took the free stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, it, it's terrible. I think it's just putting ourselves in people's shoes. Like, in those type of situations, we all have, and I think for the most part, people in the world are good. There are bad people, obviously. But, you know, sometimes when something goes your way, you just kind of turn an eye to it. All right, so let's talk about this season. The Astros started out good, in my opinion, this season. They seem like a lock. I mean, even two weeks ago, a lock to be the second place team in the AO West. And then now after going to L.A. and getting swept in a four-game season, they lost four out of five to Oakland. And they have a two-game series this weekend against the Dodgers. It's not a given now that they're going to finish second. I think uh, they're a game and a half ahead of Seattle. So, yeah, two and a half of Seattle. At this moment, uh, two and a half up. They're what, uh, seven back in the division. Seattle's technically nine and a half, so two and a half game lead on them. I think, I still think they're a lock to get in. You know, even though it's going poorly right now, this is the last two games that they have against a team with a winning record uh, this season because down the stretch, uh, you're looking at a schedule that includes three, uh, what, no, I'm looking at Seattle's schedule. Hold on, I'm pulling up the Astros schedule real quick. But they come back home, they play seven games of the last 15 overall against a Rangers team that has no interest in winning. You know, I, I really think that, honestly, 28 wins is enough to be second place in, the, in this division because, like I mentioned, you get three against Texas after this, three against Arizona, three against Seattle, which will be important, obviously, then four against Texas to finish. Seattle's schedule still remaining. Uh, they got a couple against San Francisco, who's right there at 500 or just, or just above it. They got three with San Diego, and they have four with Oakland. Um they, they've been a nice story and been beating up on bad teams of late, but when they play those tougher teams, I completely expect them to go back to being Seattle and the Astros playing the easier teams. Now, it's not a given, obviously, just based on the way that they've been playing, but I think it's still you know, virtually a guarantee that they're getting into the postseason. And, and to me, if they get to 28 wins, that guarantees it, and 30 definitely uh, gets you in. So you spoke about how the Astros are doing poorly against uh, winning teams. They are 5-13. and 13. I, I don't even think you said it. You just said they don't have any games left. But anyway, they're 5-13 and 13 against teams that uh, have a winning record. And one thing that stands out to me, which shouldn't be happening, 
And maybe it's because you're used to your home park. Maybe it's because you're not in a hotel room. But uh, the Astros are 16 and six at Minute Maid Park, and they're six and 17 on the road. So, how much do you think, uh, you know, staying in the hotel and I, I don't know what what do you think is the difference? Why, there's no fans booing them. Why are they so bad on the road? Yeah, I mean, I, I to give you an actual answer, I really don't know because, like you mentioned, there's no fans and all that. There's no distraction from it. I think it's just one of those bizarre things in a bizarre season where they've gone on the road and they've been terrible. They obviously, you know, maybe there is something to the whole being at home because they can go sleep in their own beds at night when they are on the road in their hotels. Now they're not living, you know, in a motel six or something. The, I can tell you this, when they stay out in LA, if you saw the freaking place that they stay, you'd be like, my God, this is incredible. Uh, how, how high end this is that they stay in. Um, maybe it's just that because they have to just stay in their rooms the entire time. Maybe that's part of it. And it's just one of those weird seasons because there's really, there's just no way to understand how it's possible in a year. That's so weird where home field advantage is literally nothing other than the comfort of your own home ballpark that they are this bad on the road, but they just are. I had written down a note here. I put DH on the road and I just couldn't figure out why I was talking about designated hitter on the road, but it actually means double header. That's where I was going to go with this question, but going back to the odd reason the Astros are better at home this year, I think it's, uh, unfortunate that they had to play two home games on the road and I believe they lost both of them. So that that's kind of, you know, in a, in a season where one or two games may make a difference and making the playoffs or not, I I think that is, I think that's a big factor that they lost both of those games that they should have been at home, but you know, they have to do it. They said they're not going to make Oakland travel all the way to Houston or LA travel all the way to Houston to play just one game. Yeah, I mean it's it's just the unfortunate, you know, effect of this season obviously. And this really got thrown, you know, into craziness when the A's had that positive test and obviously the hurricane threat that didn't happen where you had to postpone one of those games as well just to be safe. Um but to me it just speaks to this weird gimmicky season being full of weird gimmicks and that's one of them. And again, there's no real explanation for why they're better at home than on the road outside of they're just comfortable, so you know, you get six more at home. It's against bad teams. I can't sit here and say you need to go. You have to go five and one. I think that if they're doing their thing, they're going five and one or four and two at worst. So, you know, who knows how it goes down the stretch when you, you get your final seven games on the road, but they're playing bad teams overall. I still think that they're going to be okay. Against the Angels, uh, they did enough offensively to win those games, but they would blow the games late. Those were frustrating losses, you know, getting getting a uh, rally going, taking the lead just to blow it at the end. And Presley even, uh, he's not even a lockdown guy, so uh, losing Osuna, not that he's the greatest closer ever, but that that, that loomed big, losing Osuna. He did lead the American League in saves last year, so that, that kind of hurts. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I, I love the guy. I think he does a great job. I know he has a bad reputation, and he was probably step one in the Astros becoming the bad guys. You know, picking him up, and then uh, I can't think of the assistant general manager that was Brandon Taubman. Taubman, that was black eye number two, and then the cheating scandal. Uh, so he was a little part of it, but 
you know, I'm a big believer in people deserve second chances and nobody knows what happened but him and his wife. But, yeah, that's a big loss, losing him. And uh, so L.A., I, I believe that it's Grinky and Framber in these yeah. two games, right? Uh, Framber Grinky is how it goes in the, in the two. Okay. All right, Framber Grinky. So if you're gonna have, if if you're gonna hand pick two pitchers to pitch in these two games, these are the two you want, right? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, these are their best starters, which is still crazy to believe that Framber has become that guy this year. Um, you know, looking ahead, I, I'm just going off of my belief that still, obviously, that they're getting into the postseason as the second team in the American League West. When they go the first two games, it's Grinky Framber. Uh, because those guys have been incredible, and this this Dodgers team is going to be tough to get past this weekend. And you know, on paper, you're looking at it; they're not going to be expected to win. But anytime that you throw those two, just because of how deep they can go and keep the bullpen from having to pitch too much in either of the game, based on the way that they've pitched this season, both guys at 52 and a third innings uh, overall in the year, uh, that that sets you up to absolutely feel like you can split this weekend, despite your recent struggles. Yeah, I think uh, a split would be awesome. I, 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 will, I will take that any day. So let's stay with the Dodgers. This is one thing I want to bring up, and I'm glad you're an Astros fan. I think Adam is still a – he's still an Astros fan in a way, but, yeah, his, but he, heart, his heart he grew, is with Chicago White Sox. Yeah, he grew up there, so obviously that, that I can understand that. Okay, so this is one thing that annoys me as a fan, and this is with the Dodgers and Joe Kelly – and recently, someone painted this big mural of Joe Kelly doing that little pouty face or whatever. And I, I think the post was, I, I'm trying to finish this before the Astros get there. And I think actually yesterday, I didn't recognize him, but I think that was Joe Kelly with his family posing in front of it. And I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, I did. But what's crazy to me is that they're enjoying this so much and I don't know why they think this bothers us. Does it bother you at all? No, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, I think it's just the, you know, I try to, I, I try to, you know, look, be, I guess, level headed for it. If I was on the other end of, you know, being the Dodgers fan and losing the world series two straight years to teams that had investigations that happened, you know, I'd, I'd be a little butthurt and throwing stuff. But to me, it just comes off as, as sore losers. I thought that the Joe Kelly situation was a complete crock. I think he handled it like a baby and didn't handle it handle it like a man. And I thought that he was very dirty for the way that he threw at Bregman. If you're going to throw at a guy, which, you know, baseball is stupid at times with its unwritten rules and all that. To me, it's silly to even do it. But I get why it was done because that is ingrained in the sports and the player in the sport and the players that play it. Um, you just don't throw at somebody's head. It was cheap. It was childish. And he's lucky he didn't get a beatdown out there on the field, to be perfectly honest. And his stupid little face that he did, uh, he knew what he was doing. There was intent. We all know that. Uh, the situation was just horrible. I think it's something that does that's not needed in sport. And for Joe Kelly to be a guy that was on the 18 Red Sox as well, like, I mean, just wrong guy for it. It was just, a, it was just, it, it's all stupid. And to me, Dodgers fans doing all the, the complaining and everything, good for you. I, I can recall one of my favorite things. I've been able to do, obviously, so many great things in this job. But the coolest thing is always going to be, you know, when the postseason gets here, wherever the Astros go home and away, I get to go to all the games because I do all the pre- and post-game shows. And in 17, you know, I was out there in L.A. for uh, – I didn't go to the first two games. Uh, I went to the last two because we had a little bit of a scheduling conflict. But – 
I was there for six and seven, and I can remember going to the ballpark. I was pulling up to the ballpark that day with Chris Gordy as we were getting ready to do the uh, pregame show that day. And we were on a, sh- a shuttle because we had to park way down away from Dodger Stadium. And we're on this shuttle, and there's a bunch of Dodgers, you know, stadium workers on this bus with us. And they're all talking about the parade that they're going to have tomorrow. And they're talking about, you know, what they're going to do after the game and the firework, everything. And I, it just gave me so much because they were just foregone conclusion the Dodgers are winning game seven. It's going to happen. We're going to be champions for the first time since 1988. And it just gave me so much joy to be in that ballpark that night where everything, it was like a morgue, you know, the Astros jumped out early. It was dead quiet all night. And it was just, it was so pleasing. That makes me think of one of my favorite moments uh, at an Astros game. I would, I always sit on the third base side cause I don't like the sun in my face, but uh, we were getting beat by the Red Sox. It was, I mean, it wasn't, they weren't really killing us or anything, but I was sitting around a lot of Red Sox fans and, you know, they were cheering super loud when they shouldn't have been cheering. They were just being pretty obnoxious. And then Colby Rasmus hit that grand slam. And we won the game and they started leaving. And I was like, where are you going? Where are you going? And it was just from the memories I have of going to the game, that will always be my favorite game. Just because they were talking trash. And me and my friend, we were angry. We were so angry because we were losing, and these guys were just talking so much garbage. So I got so much satisfaction out of that win. Uh, But going back to the Joe Kelly thing, I I was asking you about the, you know, like the mural. You know, like, like why do you think they think that bothers us? It's just so bizarre that they really think they're getting us. Like, I don't know anyone that gets upset by that. It's just stupid. I mean, it it gets back to me of just of being the the babies of it all. And, you know, they can think that that's going to get to you or whatever. And, you know, I get fandom and bit back in your team and everything. I think that the Internet makes everything worse when it, when we're talking about things now uh, in the keyboard warrior syndrome to it. And same goes for that mural. But look, if they want to keep painting murals, whatever. The thing that matters is that at Minute Maid Park, there's a pennant up there on the on the uh, in the thing in left field that says 2017 World Series champions this is the Astros. So talk all you want. The Astros have the title. You don't. They got scoreboard. I'm actually wearing my shirt from uh, Crush City Tees that says Houston still the 2017 champions. And uh, yeah, so me as a fan, you know, they look at us, you know, like, how can you? still be proud of that championship. I'll always be proud of it. Like you said, everybody, you know, from, from people inside the sport, you know, there was a lot of cheating going on and I know we weren't the only ones doing it. So I'm no less proud of the championship than I would be if this didn't even come out. Yeah, no, absolutely with you. And, um, you know, that, I, I think back on that season specifically, cause that was really my the season before I, I started to do a lot more Astros pre and post game shows. Like that's always been my, my thing that I've wanted. And obviously, you know, working up through the ranks here, it takes you time like anything else in life to get to spots where you want to be. But the season before I started, you know, in the second half of the season, really getting to do a lot of the games. And then in 2017, that was my first like full complete go with it. And I can remember all the, you know, times on the radio. Like I just, I got to spring training in that 2017 season, which I get to do every year, which is awesome as well. Um, and I walked into the clubhouse before the first full workout and it was different because they had infused 
uh, a young, talented core with veterans, obviously, and McCann and Beltron and Reddick. And it just it, it it had all the, you know, confidence that it had always had. But it also had a veteran type of let's get this work done type of thing to it. And it just felt different from the jump for me. Like I knew something special was coming uh, that season. And then to watch them all season long, I was you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here or anything, but there were a lot of nights where I did post-game shows and people would call and, oh, this team, they're good, but they can't do it. And I'm like, this is something special. You have to just, I'm telling you, something different about this team that we've never seen with a Houston uh, Astros team in the past. And then, obviously, you know, the whole month of August, I think, kind of tells the story of the season where everything went poorly, obviously, in the city. And we're dealing with Hurricane Harvey, and they're just, they're playing like crap. But then they get the infusion of Verlander and it just it was a storybook type of year. And I, and I don't think that people from the outside can, you know, completely grasp how special it was for this city, having never experienced that and what this team meant in such a trying time. Because so many people we've seen the pictures and stuff of people sitting in their living rooms where the walls are cut out and they have no furniture and they're sitting there watching the Astros in the postseason like it was just the most special few months I can I can probably I, I believe I'll ever see in Houston sports and that I think that goes for a lot of us yeah when the Astros uh beat the Yankees I remember sitting and you know to go to the World Series I remember sitting on the couch with my wife and I had to I had to fight back tears I was so happy and about going to, I think I was more happy when they when they made it to the World Series for some reason I don't know why I was more emotional about it and uh, but I was surprised they won game seven. It was a great World Series. I actually went to my very first ever World Series and uh, I went to the game that they lost, <laughs> which is bad luck with the two games in between it. I mean, the two games before and after it, they were so awesome. But, yeah, it was a great, uh, great uh, season. And this, Michael, was a great talk. I appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, happy to do it. I did. You, you brought up the crying thing. It's okay to cry with baseball, and it's crazy that you mentioned that with the Yankees thing. I just wanted to say this because it's part of the 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 reason why it becomes so special. You know, we all have people like I talked about that make baseball and the Astros special for you. One of the people for me was my grandmother growing up, and she had passed in 2015. But for years as a kid, she would call me every single night three, four, five times during a game about whatever's going on in the game for years. And on that night at Minute Maid Park where they beat the Yankees after the brutal, obviously, three games up there in Yankee Stadium where they lost all three and had to come back and win two. Like, I have to be a media member and not have emotion and, you know, I can't cheer and all that, which is difficult at times. But, like, I had to walk out of the media section when they did that because I was like you. I started to choke up because it was two years on the day from when she passed. And I'm just thinking, good God, like, something there is something special here this is why sports is so special because it happened that night and um never going to forget it and here's to hoping that in the future we have more you know feelings like this because they still do have something in place to succeed in the future yeah well anyway thanks michael i do appreciate you coming on you can find uh michael on twitter at mc790 uh monday through friday six to ten that's right. Sean, Sean hmm. Salisbury show uh, for all you that live in Houston. And uh, again, thanks a lot, Michael. I appreciate you coming on. Of course. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you having me. And I'll, anytime you need me, I'm here. Well, I, I, I will be inviting you back because it seemed like that we could cover a lot more 
you know, maybe get into some of the insides of going to spring training and stuff. But, yeah, I'd really enjoy that. Absolutely. Sounds good. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.